The Queer Family Podcast. Love is love is love on the Queer Family Podcast. Love is love is love on the Queer Family Podcast. Love is love is love on the Queer Family Podcast. Love is love. We wanted to be a mirror for anybody out there, the 16-year-old who's sitting there questioning, will they ever have the family of their dreams? Will they ever have the life they want? We wanted to be a mirror for those people because we didn't have a mirror to look at and see, you know, this is what I want for my life. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Queer Family Podcast. My name is Jamie and I'm your host and you are tuning in to the final episode of what we have called the Queer Family Podcast Pride Extravaganza. For the entire month of June and a week beyond it, we pushed out double the episodes for your listening pleasure. And this is the last one right here. After this, after this week, we go back to one a week, an episode dropped every Monday. And we have some really, really great episodes coming for you. So make sure you're tuned in, make sure you're downloaded and subscribed and all the things because you don't want to miss out because we've got some really great stories coming your way, including today's. Okay, I'm going to tell you who it is. Eric and Tony Von Trainer, aka Mr. Von Trainer on the socials. They've been really, really uh, visible and open about their whole journey to parenthood. It was surrogacy, a beautiful story about surrogacy, which you're going to get the details of. And then premature twins. NICU stay, some complications, and they've, it's been all over their social media and they're very upfront and visible and they're really showing, you know, what families like ours go through in order to become families. And most recently in a lawsuit, they had to sue someone in law, in government, I should say, who took their family, put them on blast, said some really, really terrible, awful things about them. And really put them and their babies in harm's way, in danger. And so there's a lawsuit going on. And you're going to hear the details of that too. But this story, ooh, this, their story has stuck with me ever since I interviewed them a while back, honestly. It's really stuck with me. And I'm so happy to know them. I'm so happy that they are using their platform to show everyone, you know, what they're going through and how they're handling everything. They've got a full plate right now. Um, and I'm just so grateful to them and their visibility. And every single interview during the the Queer Family Podcast Pride Extravaganza, I am so grateful to every single one of them for the visibility they bring to social media. Like they're, they're helping to normalize our families, you know, one post at a time. And, you know, let me know if you've enjoyed these episodes because I am just blown away by every single one of them. And I am so grateful to all of you for tuning in to two a week for an entire month. That's a lot. I realize. Don't worry. We're going back to one a month. So you don't have to be one a, one a month, <laughs> one a week. So you don't have to be stressed out. You don't have to be stressed out anymore that you need to get your, your, your episodes in. <laughs> Not that you were, but I'm just going to try to f- have fun and imagine that you were. But I'm also, if you notice, if, if you're watching the video, if you've been listening, you know, we have video episodes that live in our YouTube channel. You should be following us on all the socials, actually. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube at The Queer Family Podcast. And that on YouTube is where you're going to get the video episodes. And that's where you will see that I am not in my usual setting. I am actually on vacation with my family in Mexico right now. And it's bomb. And I still brought my my pride flat, my pride bandana that is lovingly placed around my neck just to represent. But yes, I'm not in my usual setting. So I don't have my big pride flag. 
behind me like I have been recently. But I'm actually on vacation with our chosen family. We have our gay BFF gay moms and their kiddo that we go on vacation with multiple times a year, actually. This is our chosen family that we take family vacations with. And this year we decided, you know what, let's go wild and go to Mexico. So we're all in Mexico together. It's so amazing. We're having a great time. And I'm wondering, do y'all have chosen family that you go on vacations with? Like how... How much is your chosen family a part of your life? It is really a huge part of my life. My gay BFFs, they are family. Like we have family dinners during the winter on like Saturday nights or Sunday nights. We do, we get together at one of our houses and we have family dinners. So my chosen family has turned into such a huge part of my life. And I'm wondering if it's the same for you. That's the beauty of our queer community. We make family wherever we can find it. You know what I mean? Because we don't all have supportive families. I actually do. I'm lucky and privileged, but my family lives on the other side of the country. So my chosen family is everything to me. I'm wondering if you have that too. So let me know. Let me know in the comments of the episode. And before I roll this tape, don't forget you can get merchandise, Queer Family Podcast merchandise at our merch store at TeePublic at the Queer Family Podcast. You can find that on our website, thequeerfamilypodcast.com. And you're going to get all kinds of designs, all kinds of products. Go in there, shop around, find something to represent because pride is every day, y'all. Pride is every day. I have a wonderful episode coming for you on Monday. It's kind of a wrap-up episode of our entire Pride extravaganza. And I want you to all tune in. I'm very excited for that one too. So, okay, I'm going to roll this tape. I'm so happy you've all tuned in. Please continue tuning in and sharing it with all of your friends. And enjoy Eric and Tony Vaughn Trainer and their beautiful, beautiful story. Mwah. I'll see you soon. <laughs> Queer family podcast. Love is love. Hi, Eric and Tony. Hello. I am so excited to have you on the Queer Family Podcast Pride Extravaganza. <laughs> I have to say it that way every time. It's a thing. <laughs> when you said yes, I probably did a flip, sort of, kind of, like, in my seat. I was so excited because y'all have had a journey, and it's really been a lot these past couple months for you. So I am really excited to talk to you and hear what's going on. Gosh, the last few years truly has been such a whirlwind for us. And we are so excited to finally say that we can be included in a queer family podcast. That's <laughs> so huge for us. <laughs> oh, I'm going to cry just with that statement. I'm going to cry with that because I know that these journeys, all of our journeys, first of all, are extremely creative and also extremely difficult and can be like crazy difficult, right? So, okay. Let's, okay, let's just do, let's get right into this elevator pitch because if I try to say exactly who you are, I'll read it from something and I'll mess it up and it'll sound dumb. So you're going to give us at home and myself your 30-second elevator pitch of who you are and why you're here on the Queer Family Podcast Product Extravaganza. And I'm going to put a timer up, but don't you worry, I will never cut you off. Got it? Got it. On your marks, get set. Hello, everybody. I'm Eric, and this is Tony, and we are the Vaughn Trainer family. And it has been quite a whirlwind journey for us to start our family from the adoption process to surrogacy to a high risk pregnancy to a baby that has 
you know, so many special needs Mm -hmm. and extra care that's needed. It has been quite the journey to get us here. And we are just so excited to be a part of the Queer Family Podcast and get to talk about how we got to be a queer family ourselves. Boom. That was beautiful. That was gorgeously done. And I cannot wait to hear the whole story because I've only started following when like once basically the twins came. So I know about you having the twins and I know what's been going on, but I don't know the backstory. And if you don't follow these two, you need to go follow them right now. And I've been telling everybody throughout the Pride Extravaganza, this, I could have titled this month of shows, The Change Makers, because what I love about you is you are really, really using your platform to be visible. And it is such a breath of fresh air. And you're helping folks out there see themselves reflected and also see how they can do it, what they can do, how they can do it. And now you have so many boxes that you're checking with all these new things that are coming up. And you're staying visible and you're talking about it. And I am really just like grateful to you for what you're creating and what you're doing. So I want to say that first off. And I'm typically a very private person. So when Eric wanted to share this, I was like, oh, please don't. No, nobody needs to know this stuff. I don't want to sound like the woe is me. But when folks were reaching out and the sheer amount of support that we got right from day one, and just people had gone through their experience and shared that with us to let us know that, hey, you're not alone, that alone, and just kind of seeing what it was, what did for us. It, it was an education. It was an experience. Like So I would tell you that if it was up to me, you would know nothing about our family. Um, I don't even like having my photo taken. But once he started with this and started really sharing the information and just if your information gathering and just how open people are, of course, you have people on the other side of the coin that are not, but just the sheer amount of information and willingness to, to help that, that we received uh, was just incredible. And we wanted to be a mirror for anybody out there, as the 16-year-old who's sitting there questioning, will they ever have the family of their dreams? Will they ever have the life they want? We wanted to be a mirror for those people because we didn't have a mirror to look at and see, you know, this is what I want for my life. And so... I always wished growing up that I had seen something like that. So I wanted to be a mirror for anybody and everybody out there who aspires to have the family of their dreams, the life of their dreams, and know that they just have to make it through a couple hurdles to get there. Yeah, there are going to be hurdles, but we got this. We got this. And the queer community out of anyone got this. We can handle this, right? We got this. Okay. All right. Let's take it back. Let's take it all the way back to the beginning of Eric and Tony. When do you start? Where does it all begin? I already know, Eric, you had a shaved head, which I can't (laughs) even believe. Because if if you're not watching the video right now, you need to come watch. Because Eric has the hair that every person, every model strives for. I can't even with this hair. Okay. Okay. I'll stop. Okay. Tell me the story. Thank you. So once upon a time in 2015 with a shaved head, I decided to go on a weekend trip to San Francisco. I just wanted to get out of town and experience something different. And so a friend of mine uh, lived in San Francisco and was like, come just stay with me. We can go out, have fun. And it was through him that I met Tony. And we thought was just going to be kind of this weekend romance. Uh, Mm -hmm. We just, we kept talking and we kept texting and You know, he was incredibly shy and incredibly nervous in the beginning. (laughs) Before we knew it, we were in a long distance relationship for a year. And then I convinced this one to leave California and come to Texas, which that took some convincing. Yep. I'm from San Francisco originally. I live in New York now, but, you know, shout out to SF, baby. Yeah. (laughs) So he's originally from New York, but was living in SF. So y'all swapped. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We swapped. We swapped. Wow. You got convinced. To go to Texas, 
Wow. That's amazing. Okay. And then what? Six months after he moved, well, maybe it was a little over a year after he moved to Texas was when we finally got married. Mm -hmm. And we knew from the moment that we got married, like on our, one of our first dates, I said to him, I was like, look, my ex told me he wanted to have kids and then ended up telling me he didn't want to have kids after six months. And I knew a family was in my plan. So if you don't want to have kids, that's great. We're just not compatible. He looked at me and he goes, that is the most attractive thing anyone (laughs) has ever said to me. And so we, we knew we wanted a family right from the beginning. So it, it was always in the conversation, but of course, Mm -hmm. you know, as you meet each other, you get engaged, you get married, you think things are going to have this certain timeline for you and life happens and timelines get delayed. What year did we start with the adoption? 2018. So 2018, a year after we got married, we started looking into the adoption world and started doing our research. We signed with an adoption agency. And Mm -hmm. we were with that adoption agency for about two years. Mm -hmm. And it was a really tough go. It was a very painful experience, I think, for us. Why? We had been told up front that like, y'all are going to adopt so quick. Your profile is so attractive. It's going to be so easy for y'all. Two dads. Like there's statistics that show that Mm -hmm. parents want to place with two dads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we walked in with really high expectations, I think. And we were matched almost instantly connected with an expectant mother. And that one didn't work out. She chose a different path with her pregnancy. And then Mm. we connected again and again and again and again. And we were connected, I think, a total of seven times. Oh my God. What we found out after our ship today, halfway through, is there's not a lot of vetting that was done on the expectant mothers. So it was literally like they would reach out, get a contact, or somebody had sourced these folks out. And so as we were, you have to sell yourself to them, right? And so I'm a very emotional person. I think anybody that's ever met me would know that. So I wouldn't be able to do the sales pitch. Eric had to do the sales pitch to to these women. And so to go and lay your heart on the table X number of times again and again and again, and then to find out that you weren't selected for the most random reasons, or the mother chose it, the expectant mother chose a different path, which was, you know, whether not to have the baby. So we we did that multiple times and it just the emotional roller coaster, right? So we we even looked yeah. at foster to adopt, but I know that I am not emotionally equipped to handle that, knowing that they at the state's primary focus is to reunify the family. And that was not mm-hmm. something that I was willing mm-hmm. or able to do, right? I, I already knew it that I wasn't strong enough. It takes thick skin, right? Yeah. yeah. You have to really know. You got to dig deep and make sure you're you're going to be okay with totally. the, the child getting reunified with their with their parents. Like when we were talking to the foster to adopt agency and the, the very first conversation we had was with the coordinator of the agency. And the first thing he said was, you know, I myself have done the foster to adopt process and it took nine years to fully adopt my child. And when he said nine years, that's nine years of loving and caring for a child that could be taken away from you at any time. And Mm. I know the outlook should be for the time that they're with you could be the best years of their life. But that is just so painful when you're wanting to start your family and knowing that you could devote nine years of your life to a child and still have them taken from you was very, very hard for us. And And possibly never see them again. Yeah. And that's a strong possibility. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is heartbreaking, but that is a fact of foster to adopt. Yeah. After two years of that process and it being unsuccessful for us, our contract ended and the option was either renew our contract and pay the contract fee again. And how much is the contract fee? I think it was, it's total is like 16,000. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It for was two a, years uh, of, 
I didn't think it was going to be that number. Honestly, I'm yeah. I'm in shock. And I know our babies cost a lot of money, but I was not mm-hmm. expecting the adoption fee, agency yeah. fee to be. Okay. Yep. Okay. And the thing is, we could have honestly selected uh, the wrong agency, right? So I think we did. It wasn't a good fit for us. We chose them because Eric had known somebody that had a successful match with this agency within like six months. So it was like, hey, we've got... Here's an example. They gave us their experience and they kind of walked through the process. And it was more of like a marketing type agency per se is what it seemed like yeah. uh, in, in the tail end of it. But and I think and after that, it was we we had chatted about it. And there's a, an age difference between Eric and I about 12 years. And I said, like, I don't want to go from pushing my baby in a in a stroller to then pushing me in a wheelchair. <laughs> so we've got to like expedite this process <laughs> fairly quickly. He acts uh, like he's 95. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just want to be able to enjoy my kids, right? So you got time. You got time. Yeah. But I get it. I totally get that. And this was an adoption agency in Texas. This was actually a nationwide agency that was <laughs> heavily marketed as an LGBTQ friendly um, adoption agency. We learned the hard way that there are several, it's not several, there are quite a few adoption agencies that want to help children, but don't want to help children if you are, are not a, a heterosexual, primarily Caucasian couple, We, especially right. in Texas, yeah. especially in Texas. Oh, <laughs> right. That's that's why I was asking if this, this particular agency was in Texas, because um, I have heard that. All right. So you're not going to do this agency fee again. They're not working out. This was a bad fit. I, this is a terrible way to realize you made a bad fit, but okay, mm-hmm. this happened. And then where we, where do we go from here? It, it's already heartbreaking. You're two years in. At that point, we, we had a very hard conversation with each other because I think growing up, I didn't know that surrogacy was even a thing. I'd never heard mm-hmm. of it. The only way that I knew growing up that I was going to have a child was through adoption. So I had always been very passionate about adoption and that was the route. I didn't feel like I needed a genetic child to start my family. I didn't feel like that was necessary. But when the two years ended and we felt our taste of the adoption world was tainted because of our experience. So we were hesitant to sign with even another adoption agency. So that was when we chose to start looking into the surrogacy route. I want to pause you for a second because I want to highlight something that you just said. I talk about all all the time, the intentionality that we queer parents bring to the table when it comes to becoming parents, right? We start thinking about this. For instance, Eric, you started thinking about this from childhood, like knowing, mm-hmm. okay, it's going to be adoption. But I just want to highlight the fact that you processed this as a child mm-hmm. and got to a place of like excitement and acceptance for the path you were going to take at a very young age. And I just, I'm highlighting it because intentionality, here it is, here it is. For anybody who says that we shouldn't be parents, get that out of your head because we start thinking about this so much earlier and we start thinking about all the pitfalls we can hit because of our particular situations, right? Mm -hmm. So I just, I'm sorry, I just had to interrupt and highlight that. (laughs) No, and I love that you highlighted that because sometimes when you're just, you go through your own story, you don't always realize the importance of some of the pieces of your own story. So I honestly wasn't until you even just said that out loud that I was like, I really was setting my intentions from a very early age of what my family Mm -hmm. plan was going to look like, because I knew from the time I was like five years old that I was gay. So I knew it was going to be different for me. At that point, when we kind of turned the page and decided on surrogacy, there was a couple that I knew on Instagram who had gone through the surrogacy process and they were in Texas. And so I was like, okay, you're in Texas. You're gay. You went through surrogacy. I need to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we do it. That's how we do it. And th- this agency is incredible. So we yeah. can't say enough about it. I don't know if we're supposed to say their name, but they are. You can. Uh, so Simple Surrogacy. And Jill was our coordinator. She was 
incredible from start to finish. She still texts us today to find out how the girls are doing. We also worked with Dr. Scora at Fertility Sessions of Texas. He actually is a gay man himself. Him and his husband, they transferred their embryo, honestly, a week after us. So he just had their their boys as well. So if you're in Texas, there is hope. Just know these companies were absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Good to know. And good to shout out the good ones. Yes. Because (laughs) Lord knows we need them. (laughs) Literally. And that's why we share as much as we do. Because if we can make anybody else's journey a little bit more streamlined directly to working with phenomenal people, we want that for Mm. them. Because we went through the process of not working with phenomenal people. So we know how it feels to kind of go down a path that feels like you're not going to get a resolution. So if we can get you to that resolution a little bit quicker. That's why we shared the way that we do. But after Mm -hmm. we spoke with the couple on Instagram, that's when we got connected with Simple Surrogacy. And Simple Surrogacy was who recommended us to uh, Dr. Scora with Fertility Specialists of Texas. And that's kind of when our surrogacy journey really began. And that's when we started doing a lot of soul searching on how, how do we make this possible for us? Because as we all know, surrogacy is not a inexpensive process, especially when it comes to, we don't have eggs. So we had to find our eggs. We had to find our surrogate. We had to go through the process of IVF with the egg donor and the surrogate. So it's a heavy, lengthy process. So we had to do a lot of soul searching on that and figure it out. I like to talk costs. So it's like all out in in the open here so that everybody knows like what we're talking about. Like you're starting at a hundred thousand dollars. Like that's the surrogacy. Mm -hmm journey starting. We're looking at a lot of money. So you had to do the soul searching and and what'd you come to? Well, it was soul searching. It was financial searching, pinching things out and figuring out where we were going to find that money. And for us, we ended up taking out a loan, cutting out some things that we had intentions on doing. We had to take out a loan and Mm -hmm. actually we took out two loans Mm -hmm. in order to do it. Where... Where'd you take the loans from? We did one through the bank and then we did one through... like I have a credit card processor for my business. And so you're able to take out loans for the business. So we ended up taking out a loan part for the business, part for the surrogacy. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Okay. So then what? So then what? Through the fertility agency and civil surrogacy, they also have financing options. They talk through different options that you can have. I don't necessarily know. We didn't think them through in that particular aspect, but there are a lot of different options and avenues that they will also share with you. If your choice on financing isn't the way that we routed, there are multiple different avenues that you can take. So, And then what happens? So once we kind of figured out you know, how we were going to do this. And the nice part about the surrogacy process is, you know, it is done in installments. So we knew, okay, we needed X amount up front. And then we needed X amount later on once we matched with the surrogate and kind of started the process. So we initially talked with Dr. Scora at Fertility Specialist of Texas, and he let us know kind of what we needed to look for in our egg donor. So step number one was finding our egg donor. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because we wanted to do a split insemination, uh, so that way Mm -hmm. we can try for twins. And just to explain that down a little bit for anybody listening who doesn't know what that is, we were taking essentially whatever eggs we got from our egg donor, half would be Tony's and half would be mine. And then in the end of it, our goal was to transfer one of his, one of mine and have twins that are genetically speaking, half siblings, but they're twins. So it's, it's as close to a completed family unit as two gay men can get. <laughs> it's like super cool. That one and like reciprocal IVF for the ladies mm-hmm. or the two folks with uteruses, I should say. Yeah, science is wild. It really is. Thank God for science, right? Yes. Thank God for science. <laughs> yes. What a statement. <laughs> so did your clinic have egg donors there? So did you get your egg donor through them? Actually, our 
surrogacy agency mm-hmm. and the fertility clinic both had like egg donor registries that we could look through. And so when we started kind of figuring out what we were looking for in our egg donor, and of course you're looking at appearances and, you know, when you're choosing the partner for your life, it's somebody that you're attracted to. So we were like, okay, well, we want to be attracted to her from a mm-hmm. physical standpoint, but we also, what meant more to us was what they had to say and why mm-hmm. they were an egg donor. So we started looking through both of their registries of egg donors, and then we started exploring other websites as well. And we landed on egg donor solutions and they were phenomenal to work with as well. I'm incredibly indecisive and I don't like to make a decision, which is the wrong thing to do when you're trying to find an egg donor who is going to basically uh, help you create children. That are other really yeah. yeah. Listen, I, I call this lovingly on the show, the search for Superman, or I should say the search for sur- Superwoman in your mm-hmm. case, because we get insane with this, these lists we create and the 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 choices we we get a little crazy. Oh yeah. So oh, it's yeah. normal. We like found this one website and it was literally like all of the egg donors on their website were either supermodels or they were like <laughs> doctors, lawyers, like extremely intelligent, <gasps> but their egg donor fees were astronomical. Yeah. I was just gonna say, did you have to pay extra for that? Oh, yeah, yes. you did, right? Oh, you did. We didn't go that route. <laughs> we yeah. ended up going yeah. with egg donor solutions and when we found our egg donor on their website, of course, we had stipulations from Dr. Scora. Like they needed to have proven donation history. They needed to have at least eight PGS tested, usable, healthy embryos. So that really narrowed the field quite a bit because eight healthy embryos at the end of PGS testing is very, very rare. It's tough. Yep. So we ended up finding one who was literally an egg factory. Yes. Um, her proven history was literally like, She'd done two previously, and it was like the first time was 27 eggs retrieved. The next time was like 24. Mm -hmm. Ours was 27. (sighs) 27. What she said in her profile really drew us in as well. It was, you know, she knew that she did not want to have children of her own. That was out of the cards for her. It was not something in her plans. And she was young, so of course that could change later on. But in the time of now, she knew she didn't want to have any children of her own, and she wanted to be able to help anybody start their family. And we thought that that was so powerful on that front. Yeah. Cause they asked the, uh, the prospective egg donor, they asked them questions as well. Like, are you okay with going with a same sex couple? Are you okay? And then it's, mm-hmm. would you prefer women and two women, which for two men, we are you open to both. And she was open to absolutely anything. Her exact response was, I want to be able to help somebody that is not able to have children on their own. And there's a lot of other sweet things that she put in her profile that really kind of gravitated towards us. I What's also that. interesting too, when you, when you look at her and then put, the size of our family together, it almost looked like, as crazy as it sounds, if Eric and I were to have a baby, mm-hmm. you would think this is kind of like a, it, it's weird. It's an odd match. I know it's, maybe that was my process of elimination by the end after looking at 35 websites. It was more so like we were trying to find somebody who was similar in look to one of us. You know, we wanted our family to kind of look like a family mm-hmm. in a sense. So yeah. when mm-hmm. you look at the egg donor and you look at me, we have a lot of similarities. Like we've got a, you know, more tan skin tone, darker hair. And so it was kind of cute because at one point I looked at Tony and I was like, okay, if genetics works out the way the genetics should, her and his baby should look the closest to if him and I had, a, if we could have a genetic yeah. baby together. And one thing that we thought was really, really special when it came down to her retrieval day, when she flew to Texas and she had her egg retrieval, the egg donor solutions asked us if there was anything that we wanted to do as like a special gift for her to say thank you. So 
Um, they gave us a couple options of things that we could do. And they facilitated everything because we don't have contact or communication. And so we said, of course, we want to do like a little, I think we did a necklace. Yeah. And then flowers. And then flowers and chocolates. Mm-hmm. And the note that we got was so special from the coordinator for Egg Donor Solutions. They called to check in with her after the retrieval. And she said that she was crying because nobody had ever bought her flowers before. And so it was the first time she'd Aww. ever received flowers. And so mm-hmm. we just thought that that was like, it, it, it even more solidified that like, we felt like we chose the right person because, mm-hmm. you know, just even getting that note back, we felt like she was such a sweet and tender person. Mm-hmm. Totally. And we loved that. Is it an open uh, relationship or is it a closed donor situation? Like, would you be able to know her in the future or? So what they do is they have a, a registry that you sign up for um, and she's open to meeting the kids or kind of asking questions from from um, our children or any children that she is, she's helped create. And you mm-hmm. do a lot of the facilitation through this site. And then you can ultimately decide as you're having these communications through this site, if at one point in time, she decides like, yep, I would like to meet the children or, or I would not. So we don't talk directly to her. It's It would be facilitated through this website that you ultimately, it's a donor sibling registry, I think it's called. The donor sibling registry. Yeah. Yep. But, they, but I don't have that option with my donor. Oh, really? <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't think so. But it's different. I think things are changing and I think that they're they're trying to make these um donor conceived situations more open and you know for for the children involved and stuff like that. One thing that I found that was interesting is so one of our really good friends, her and her wife just went through um similar process with a sperm donor and had a baby together that way and when her and I were talking about looking at the registries, it was a very different experience on her side as it was for our side. We got to see photos of our donor in current, photos of our donor's parents, grandparents, siblings, as a baby, as a child. Mm. And the only photo she got to see was of her donor as a baby. Yeah. That's, that's like pretty much like par for the course for sperm donors changing. There's you can pay extra in a lot of at a lot of banks for adult pictures now, but you can get you don't get pictures of their family and all of that. Yep. But I think there is a push to make it more towards what it sounds like you all have. So it sounds like you can make contact through the agency like anytime you want. Like we have to wait till the till the kids are eighteen. We were told that if something came up with one of the girls health wise, and we could not pinpoint where this came from in any side of the family, and it wasn't in her. Um, profile listing and like, um, kind of health workup that we saw, we could facilitate conversation through this website to ask through them if there was any sign of this on her side of the family. And then it was told to us that when the girls turn 18, she had agreed if the girls wanted to know her, meet her, talk to her, that she would be accepting of that. So it would also be facilitated. Yeah, she had to answer all these questions as well. So like they asked us, do you want the girls to have access to, or girls or boys, because we have both. Uh, if Would you uh, want them to have access to this website? And we said yes on our side. And so they ultimately asked her as well. So once we said yes, they asked her and then she was also open to it. So it definitely has to be agreeable on both sides. Because yeah. if definitely if it's not, you, you wouldn't get that aspect. Right. Yeah. It seems like it's more kind of, of a marketplace for us when we buy sperm as and you have more of kind of like a guided... Mm-hmm. Which is great, but you're paying more money too. Let's let's mm-hmm. be real. You know, we're paying for vials of sperm. You're you're paying a woman to come and extract eggs from. So it, it is different, and so maybe you get more care for that. <laughs> you're paying a higher price. <laughs> it's very American, but I do yeah. uh, wonder. Like, I wonder. I should reach out to my the sibling registry and see if they would contact our donor for us if we needed it. I have. We have. It's, it hasn't crossed my mind. So, but. 
I should look into that. And anybody at home, let me know if you know that about for, for those who are sperm donor conceived. Can we reach out via the donor sibling registry? I don't even know. I, sh- I need to know. I should know this. Okay. All right. Let's move forward. You got a bunch of embryos. Yes. <laughs> we ended up with... We have nine total. Nine total embryos at the end of it. And I mm-hmm. had... What did I have? You have three boys and two girls. That. And I had three girls and one boy. Yep. All right. And then you get to make a decision like who, which one are we putting. And they all looked great. Yep. Yeah. So those were all, they were all, oh. they were, they were all, it was interesting about this too, is they told us they would give different ratings based on mm-hmm. the quality of the embryo. And all of them came back as they were all top tier, which we were floored by. And how we ultimately decided wow. was, uh, so uh, I unexpectedly lost my mom in 2019. Oh, and sorry. I, thank you. I, I appreciate that. We, I had a dream and it's the first dream that I woke up from that I could actually remember what happened and I wasn't crying. And so I woke up and I was like, Eric, I had a dream last night that I told my mom, we were sitting at a table that I told her, sorry, that we were having two girls. And so, that, sorry. Um, Cry, why are you making me cry? <laughs> I'm sorry. And so, because our intention was to have a boy and a girl. Eric always wanted a girl. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a preference. I just wanted to, I, I was just too happy with a baby. And after having that dream, woke up with that one. It was it was set in stone. Like that was what we were going Aww. to do. Yeah, the um, minute he told me Aww. about that dream, I said, "Babe, that was Barb. Yeah, from wherever she is, telling yeah. you yeah. you're having my two girls." Yeah, yeah she was a very strong. <laughs> she was a strong-willed Italian woman, so like she was going to make her presence known. Yeah, that was okay, Barb. Barb. Yeah, mm-hmm. Barb. You gotta yes. listen to Barb. Yes. All right. Yeah. So you knew you're going to put two girls in. I love mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. then we got to find a surrogate. Who's going to carry these babies? I feel like thing like people and things happen for a reason and people get placed in your life for a reason when you're the least expecting it. And so a word that I would love to give to anybody listening who is thinking about going through the surrogacy process, it was advice that was given to me and it's advice that I'm going to pass on. Do not rush the process simply because you want to get it done faster. When it's supposed to work, it will work and it will feel right and you will not question mm. if it's the right scenario. So the example that I'll give on that is early in the process, I was getting very antsy with the matching of our finding a surrogate. I was getting very antsy and I'm very much a take power and take control kind of person. And if I can help speed something up, I'm going to do it. So I had posted in like a, it was called Texas Surrogacy and it was like a Facebook page and it was literally intended parents and potential surrogates would post in there trying to find each other. And we were still Mm going to facilitate it through our agency, regardless of how we found our surrogate. And we ended up finding somebody, a great person, but there were a lot of, I would, I called them pink flags because they weren't red enough to fully be red Mm -hmm. flags, but they were a little alarming. But I was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not marrying this person. I'm not getting into a Mm -hmm. full-fledged relationship with them. I could put up with some of these things for nine months. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately that person did not end up passing their psyche valve, which very big red flag. But I kept trying to force that scenario and say, no, like this is going to work. We're going to make it work. Mm-hmm. We're going to make it work for nine months. They're, I know they're a good person. It's going to work. And when we got the call that she didn't pass the psyche valve, we were, of course, we were bummed, but we were grateful that there are all of these checks and balances through yes. the process. Yes. Um, yeah. Because can you imagine if you had just gone with like, you know, without an agency and, and you know, made the deal yourselves and <laughs> written things down, but can you imagine if something went south right. afterwards? So, There's a lot of yeah. risks involved. And so, especially when you're going through a process like this for the first time, you don't know all of the things that should happen or all of the things that could potentially happen. So 
having an agency and having Jill with Simple be like, no, these are the steps that we still need to go through regardless of how we find the surrogate. It really protected us in the long run. And it is such a large investment. You want to make sure that you're protected in some fashion. And Jill was a previous surrogate herself. She's done it multiple times. Most, her most recent one, she had twins. So she is very familiar with the process, understands like kind of what you're looking for as well. So she had a firsthand experience from that as well. Yep. Queer Family Podcast. Hey, y'all. Just taking a quick break from the interview because I want to share with you a new podcast that I absolutely love. It is a podcast by my friend and supporter of the show and past guest of the show, Lisa Schumann, aka Lisa the Therapist. Love her new show and y'all are going to want to go take a listen to. Go take a listen. Love is love. I'm Lisa Schumann. I'm a therapist, a researcher, and an expert in donor conception, and I'm the host of Donor Conception Conversations. It's the one podcast created exclusively for people who are planning to use donor conception to build their families or have donor-conceived children. In our podcast, my guests and I share the tools and the truths that you need to have a better journey to parenthood or to tackle those tough parenting issues. If it's about donor conception, we talk about it. So please tune in. You can find us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Queer Family Podcast. It's good to have somebody you can trust and to have somebody to walk you through it, right? Especially when it's such a complicated process like this is. It is. This is not simple. No, these are these are simple surrogacy. (laughs) I'm like, nothing about it is simple. But with them, it's a lot more simple. Simple. How about that? Yeah. They break it down really, really well. So you know what to expect and you know what to look for. So when that ended up not working out, we went back into like the matching pool and we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And there was a potential match through the agency, a possibility. It was never confirmed, but it was a possibility. And then a little bit later, we learned that the match was no longer going to happen. It wasn't going to be an option. And so Mm -hmm. I had just posted on my Instagram story one night. You know, we thought we might have a match. Unfortunately, it's not going to be working out. We're back to square one. You know, we're we're staying positive. We're hopeful. We know that our match is out there. We're going to find the right surrogate. And it was probably less than 20 minutes later, I checked my message request folder. And there was a DM that said, I'm a mom of two. I live in the woodlands, which is 30 minutes north of where we live. And it said, I've always wanted to be a surrogate. I would love to help you and Tony start your family. Wow. Yep. And of course, so my, my alarms go off like, okay, this is some crazed individual yeah. that's just like, oh, yes, they just want to part of your family, right? And I'm like, because I've listened to Eric on that. He's, he's really good. He's very charming on, uh, on mm-hmm. Instagram, right? So I'm like, okay, yeah, I would want to be his, his uh, baby mama yeah. too, or however you want to word it, right? So I, I'm literally <laughs> like, I need to go into like defense mode. Yeah, that's actually who we went yeah. with. And she is incredible. Well, the first thing I said to her was, well, we're wanting to cap twins are you open to carrying twins? And if you're not serious about this, it's okay. You just have to let us know. And she said, let me talk to my husband and see if he's okay with me carrying twins. And I was like, okay, we're never going to hear from her again. Or if we do, it's three weeks from now with like, I changed my mind. And it was probably 20 minutes later, she messaged me back and he said, he supports whatever I want to do. And I said, okay, if you're serious, you need to go to this website. You need to fill out this form. You need to put that you're, you know, applying to be our surrogate X, Y, Z. And when I tell you she had every ounce of paperwork done within like two days, it was fully done. 
that included like a doctor's visit. She had to have a physical, she had to have her, her OB sign off on it. And she had all of that done. So it showed to us, right? Because we've talked to people previously and it was like, yeah, I'll get around to the application. And then a week later, two weeks mm-hmm. later, we're following up. She had it done within 48 hours. Like she was, she was on top of everything. She was determined. Like it was mm-hmm. going to happen. I had that feeling, that gut feeling right from the beginning that it was going to be the right match and it was going to be the one. But you go into it, especially after all of the things that we've already been through, we were so apprehensive and we were so guarded. And I just remember I kept asking her over and over and over, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? And she was like, if you ask me one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Once she filled everything out and we started kind of going through the process, we decided to meet in person. We decided to all go out to dinner. It was her and her husband, me and Tony. And I remember the car ride up to the woodlands. We were parking and we were literally like pep talking each other on the way. And we were like, we're going to be cool. They're going to like us. We're not going to say anything stupid. It's like the ultimate date. Like how do you you handle this date? I don't even know. I don't even know. I literally felt like I was back in high school going on my very first date. It was wild. And they felt the exact same way. Like we were all like clammy and nervous. Like, That's so cute. It's so funny to look back on too, because as our relationship grew, we really got comfortable with each other. And I mean, we joke about everything, everything. everything. I'm going to share the funny. I can share, right? I, I don't know what you're talking about, but sure. Okay. Um, I hope so. Yeah. I want <laughs> so the when funny. She, so <laughs> when she went for her first physical exam, one of the first things that our fertility doctor said to her when he was like, you know, scoping her out and checking out her um, uterus is he goes, you have a perfect uterus and so she immediately texted she was like i have a perfect uterus (laughs) y'all so the name of our group chat it's me tony her and her husband our group chat is team perfect uterus oh my god that's amazing oh my god oh i love it and i love that husband is like right here on board oh yes this is like allyship to the nth degree Mm y'all this is like true This is the beauty right Mm -hmm. here. I feel like Fred doesn't get enough credit in all of this because every post we make is always like, we're so thankful for Carly and Fred. We're so thankful for Carly. We're so thankful for Carly. But truly, I think that was the most mind-blowing part Mm -hmm. for both me and Tony is seeing Mm -hmm. a straight man who is comfortable and accepting and willing for his Mm -hmm. wife, not only to carry babies for and babies, for somebody else, but for a gay couple, I think that was so incredible to see that type of allyship and that acceptance because that was a heavy like worry for us. It's like, okay, we may find the right surrogate and the right match, but is her husband going to be accepting of a gay couple basically being thrusted into their life? And I mean, he's literally family to us. It's it's super cool. Yeah. yeah. And I think one thing that's funny is, so we jo- we talked once before, it was like the week before transfer. And we talked about how like, hey, eating pineapple helps. He went to the store. He bought, I don't know how many pineapples he bought, but she sent a video of him cutting a pineapple. So I'm like, I don't think you need to eat it just yet, but he was been chopping pineapples. She got to the point, she goes, my tongue is so raw from eating pineapples. But like, he went to the store and like, he was that invested in making sure that like, he is, Aww. well, yes, she was the one that carried. He's been with us great from the, from start to finish. So it is, we dreamed about this type of relationship with our circuit and their family, but he is, their entire family is, is incredible. incredible. Entire family. Wow. This is like chosen family. Here we go mm-hmm. again with yep. our chosen family and and the amazing ties that can be made through mm-hmm. these chosen family bonds. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So she carries the babies. 
everything. We're eating the pineapple, (laughs) doing the things. And then let's get into, let's get into the birth and let's get into your story since birth, because I know there's a lot here too. Oh yeah. So birth was a wild 24 hours. We had our um, baby shower at 31 weeks and at our baby shower, she was having contractions and we thought, Oh yeah. We thought they were just like little, little bitty contractions here and there. Mm-hmm. And throughout the week, they progressively got stronger and a little bit stronger. And Tony had a business trip to California. And I, I remember looking at him and I said, I don't think you should go. And he went anyways, which I don't blame him. Like I would do the same thing for my career as well. You do what you have to do for your yeah. job and your career and our insurance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> <laughs> he flies out and Carly texts. And is like, I'm having a lot of pressure, like a lot of pressure in my Mm -hmm. vagina. I am having some contractions that seem to be feeling like they're in my lower back. And I was like, we need to text our OB right now. And we need to see if what they want us to do. And of course, our OB was like, you need to come to the hospital immediately. We need to check you out and see what's going on. And Carly was like, my contractions still aren't regular. They're still really sporadic. They're really spread out. They're not, this isn't full term like labor. And so we go in, they hook her up to the monitors and the, um, the nurse is like, you have a high pain tolerance, don't you? And she's like, yeah, I think I do. Why? She goes, you're having regular contractions every minute and a half to two minutes. You're only feeling the big spiked contractions, all of the regular contractions she wasn't feeling. So of course our OB is immediately like our OB comes in and she's talking to us. And I said, So my husband is in California right now. At what point do I need to tell him to get onto a flight back to Houston? She goes, tell him to look up flights and get on one immediately. But they put her on the medication to stop labor or at least prolong the pregnancy. So they put her on that. They start putting her on like some painkillers to kind of help with the contractions. And things really seem to simmer down. And at one point, our OB was like, I don't know, you know, maybe within the next couple of days, the baby will come. But like she told our surrogate, you're not leaving the hospital pregnant, but it'll probably be a couple of days at this point. So I called him and I was like, hey, I don't think you need to rush home. I think everything's okay. He ignored me. He was still on his way to the airport already. <laughs> and it Attical. went from that to an hour later, her contractions spiked. She was four centimeters dilated. And oh, God. one of our twins, the, the twin A, who was in the front, she had been head down the entire pregnancy and she flipped. And wow. so there was no possibility of a vaginal birth anymore. And so no. at one point, the, the on-call OB or the on-call doctor comes into the uh, room and says, whoever needs to get here needs to be here in the next hour because you're having this baby in the next hour. And so they prolonged it as long as they could. We had the babies at 12.23 and 12.24 a.m. I landed at 12.26. <laughs> but I landed to the Damn. most, I will tell you. Um, so our Wi-Fi was also down on the plane. Yep. And so I kept asking, oh. I kept asking the flight attendant who probably thought I was a little neurotic, uh, please just, just, I don't care if you have to check on your own phone. I'm sure you guys have access somewhere. I just need you to check. Can you log into my phone? I don't care what you have to do. And again, I don't even think you can do that. And I landed to the, <laughs> I literally landed to him. It was a call. Literally, as soon as I landed, it was a call of him telling me that the girls were here. But of course, I'm sobbing on the plane. The lady next to me thinks I'm crazy. Everybody routing him nuts. My Uber driver, it should take 40 minutes from the airport. He got me there in 22 minutes from the airport to the, to the hospital. Yeah, it was a wild, chaotic day, night. What was actually really cool about him not being there, if he had been there, we had agreed 
we wanted to make sure that Fred was by Carly's side, no matter what the birth looked like, he had to be there. And if that meant only one of us could go in, then neither of us were going to go in because we didn't want us to experience that without each other. He wasn't there. So I went in and I actually got to be in the room for the C-section. I got to see the girls in their very first moment. And that is a memory that I will never forget. I got to FaceTime him from like, they have that little like side room that they like rush the babies mm-hmm. into immediately. They got them all dressed up and this was at 32 weeks. So they were very premature. They were immediately put on CPAP. They were put into my arms and I got to FaceTime him so he could see his girls immediately. And that was a really, really special moment for both of us. Mm -hmm. When he got there, the babies weren't ready for us to come into the NICU yet. So we got to go into the NICU for the first time to see our daughters together. So it was really, really special. And so they both got to come home after 22 days in the NICU. They were both Mm -hmm. home for... I think it was like two and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. And Monroe was our smaller baby. She was born born at two pounds, 12 ounces. And Harlow was born at three pounds, 14 ounces. Monroe was having a lot of difficulties with feeding from the day we got home. Like the minute we got discharged, she was having difficulties with feeding. She was having apneic or bradycardia events, which is essentially when she Mm -hmm. stops breathing and her heart rate drops to a very dangerous level. And so we were Mm -hmm. having that at home. She wasn't feeding well. And we were just very, very stressed out. And she started losing weight. She started not maintaining her temperature very well. After two and a half weeks at home, we had to take her back to the hospital. We had to go through the emergency room. Monroe had never been intubated even while in the hospital first round. And so Mm -hmm. she stopped breathing in front of the respiratory therapist. Which here's Miss oh. Harlow. Huh? Oh, look at those cheeks. <laughs> she's the look big at those cheek cheeks. She's the big oh cheek my girl. god. You go. What a cutie. Uh, Monroe stopped breathing in front of the respiratory therapist. And so they immediately called for intubation. And watching your four pound baby be intubated in the emergency room is really oh, traumatic. God. And it was. I can only imagine. And it was a rough intubation. It took them four attempts to get her fully intubated. It was rough. Mm -hmm. So from there, she went back to the PICU. She was on record now, the smallest baby to ever be taken care of in the PICU. So at a certain point, I think the hospital just realized that while they don't normally transfer babies back to the NICU because of her size, she was going to get better care for her size in the NICU. So they ended up transferring us back to the NICU. They did a couple swallow studies on her, found that she was aspirating. So the feeding tube went back in. And after 29 days in the NICU, Monroe finally got to come home. You have been through it. And you have a baby at home. Yes. And you're first-time parents. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's been a journey, to say the least. I think that was the hardest part of it, was having a newborn baby at home, having a baby in the NICU, and regardless of how we wanted to do it, we could never be together with our mm-hmm. girls. So it had to be, if Tony was at the hospital for the day, I was home with Harlow and then we swapped. So that was really hard on both of us. Cause for 29 days, we hardly saw each other. Yeah. No matter what, no matter how great you think you're doing as a parent, you always feel like you're falling short. And so mm-hmm. anytime I had to walk out of that, um, that hospital room and like say bye to my daughter and then go visit my mm-hmm. daughter, that was just very, very hard. And I talked about this on social media I would leave the hospital crying, be crying while driving home because I had to leave my daughter. But then the minute I walked into the house, I had to pull myself together because Mm -hmm. I needed to be the best dad in the world for her. 
And that's hard. Mm -hmm. That's really, really hard as a first time parent. And I think you already have so much guilt as a first time parent anyways, because you don't know what the hell you're doing to begin with. And then when you're thrusted into situations like this, you really feel like you're drowning at times. And so, you know, you just have to do your best. Yeah. Yeah. You had a really tough lesson in parenting. You had like a hit the wall lesson in parenting. (laughs) And from what I can tell on social media, you're doing a beautiful job. I mean, like, and this is why it's wonderful that you're just documenting things so we can see what we saw when Monroe was in the hospital. We saw you document, we saw you talking about it and my heart went out to you. So it's great. Now you're educating not only on making babies the gay way, (laughs) but also like how to handle a baby who is having some difficulties and how do you, how do you get through it together and how do you do the stuff? So it's wonderful what you're doing and she's home now. Yes. It's a feeding tube. So she has an NG tube, which is through her nose. Mm-hmm. We're working with um, numerous specialists, so speech, uh, OT, PT, um, working with her now to try to get her to safely feed through the bo- via bottle. Because uh, the goal is obviously mm-hmm. to try to get the NG tube pulled out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. if, it does, if it does turn out that, sorry, <laughs> she, she's very vocal. If it does turn out that she is not able to feed safely by mouth uh, after the four or six weeks, it's not good for her uh, nasal passages and stuff to, and for her throat to have that NG tube for extended periods of time. So we may have to look at a G tube aspect, but we're hopeful that, that she, the the, yeah, that's yeah. the surgical tummy. one through the tummy. Yeah. And tummy, that makes us both yeah. nervous because it's mm. another surgery that she'd have to go through. Oh, you don't want that. Yeah. No, not at all. Well, she's making progress. She wants the bottle. Uh, she loves, yeah. uh, she's not short on appetite. So she matches both of us <laughs> in that case. If we were always Good. eating. So yeah, she's definitely making progress. She's just, it's, uh, it's a little more work uh, with her. Harlow, yeah. she, we, we joke that, you could put her in a dark room and she'd find the bottle and, and drink it. Um, and it just takes a little more guidance. Yeah, girl, don't miss a meal over here. I love it. You're doing a great job. And I did notice too that recently you posted that somebody put up, I don't know if you can talk about this, but somebody put oh, yeah. up some crazy, hateful shit yes. about you and your and the fact that you created these babies. Like, do you want to talk about this a little bit? Because I think, because I love that you got I think I love that you got online and you called it out. And Absolutely. You were like, this is, yeah. So you want to just, I would love to just hear this, have the listeners hear this story and then, and then, you know, let you go take care of your babies because you're yeah. very busy. No, absolutely. And this is something that I, I'm very, very passionate about. There's like a political movement on one side to call all LGBTQ people groomers. That is what mm-hmm. has now become the calling card. So I'm very, very, very passionate about um, fighting against any type of hate like that. And so Friday evening, I get a text message from a friend that says, if there's something really bad about you on the internet, do you want to know? And I was like, yeah, I have thick skin. What is it? And so she sends me the Twitter of this failed politician who is very, 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 very extremist, is a huge extremist. Mm-hmm. And that's what her whole political game is on, is being an extremist. And she posted the video to her Twitter of me and Tony holding our daughters for the very first time in the NICU together. So number one, she posted our daughters in a very vulnerable state. She blasted mm-hmm. our daughters for 6 million people to see. That's how many views that tweet had by the time I saw it. 6 million <sighs> views. And she said that we were, I don't remember the exact verbiage, but she called us pedophiles and she called us groomers. And she said that this was a form of sex trafficking. So she took oh my God. a video that was one of the most special videos in the world to us in a very special moment that we shared. We don't share our life 
simply for attention, the way that she calls it out, that we're posting for attention. Mm -hmm. We're doing it to inspire anybody who's either wanted to start their family, is LGBTQ, has gone through infertility, has to try other means of having a family, and also to normalize, not normalize, because a NICU stay is not normal, but to show what a NICU stay looks like for people who don't know. And she took those moments and put a stamp of pedophilia on it. It's so, also, it's your video. It's your video. It's your children. You're not allowed to put other people's children up. Get out of here with that. Yeah. And I think it was crazy too. I think the sad part, uh, at least, or disturbing part was when you read some of the comments. So she had some comments that were like, lady, you are nuts. You are batshit crazy. Like you're a, but there was other ones that said they were like rounding up the troops at midnight to go get those Mm -hmm. babies to save those babies. So that was the part to me, like, okay, what does our security system look like on our house? Like, what does it ultimately look like? Right. So it's just, there's things that you have to look at that. Again, did I think that hate was out there? Yes. Am I ignorant to think to what degree that hate is out there? hundred percent. I will tell you that right now. I try to believe the good in people, but reading some of these comments, uh, and I will tell you that I'm not a, uh, a fighter by any means, but I instantly went into dad mode, uh, <laughs> which I didn't know I even had dad mode <laughs> to like, Oh my God, like this woman's going down. Right. So it was like a, um, it just, it's the attention factor coming from some of these extremists that really just, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. It's scary. Yes. It's scary. And it's scary what they can incite. Exactly. Yes. That's the whole point of this. Like, yep. Look, you look at those comments and you see what they're inciting. And that's the scary shit. We were honestly, wow. at one point, we were terrified that people were just going to show up at our house because there were comments of, let's find them. Let's save those babies from those perverts. That was the conversation that was happening online from her, from her comment section. So at that point, I knew I needed to fight this and I needed to, bl- I needed number one to, to share this online, to show what the LGBTQ community faces simply for wanting to have a family, number one. But number two, we needed to fight this because those words carry weight. And when you mm. don't know the, the situation, you don't know the story behind it. Our fear was that in 10 years, Harlow and Monroe want to have a sleepover and have friends over to our house. And they Google us and they see that there's pedophiles <sighs> and sex traffickers and that's what we're associated with now. That I didn't could, even think of that. The implications yeah. have long-term effects. And so I knew Ugh. that I needed to fight this. And so I, I went out on a, li- on a kind of like on a limb and I, I DM'd an attorney in Houston who is, who has gone after some heavy hitters before. And he is a shark and he will go after cases where he feels like there is true wrongdoing. So I DM'd him just to see if this was something that there was even worth a fight. He was like, this is disgusting. This is not okay. He was like, I am on your side. We are going to fight this. So you're fighting that. You're fighting we her. Are. We are. And Good um, job. Good for you. And so she she's still all over Twitter trying to fundraise because she is now, this woman has now turned it into the LGBTQ Mafia, as she calls it, is attacking Christianity because she says that she is saying these things in the name of Christianity. You can't even. Like, you can't even. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it is. It's so absurd. It's, so she is fundraising to help in her legal battle all over Twitter. And she's, you know, again, calling us pedophiles and sex traffickers in the works to try to smear our name in an attempt to raise her money. So. It's it's an ongoing legal battle. There's not a ton more that we can say about it, you know, right now. But 
you know, all we want is an apology and a retraction, but I don't, I don't think we're going to get that because she firmly believes in what she said. So it's definitely going to be an interesting thing as time goes on for Mm -hmm. sure. But I knew I could not sit back and Mm -mm. I wanted to fight this for us, for our family, to protect our daughters, to protect our family. But I also hope through this that it sends a message to anybody out there who wants to call people of the LGBT community and anybody who's trying to start their family in general, names like this on the internet, yes, we have a freedom of speech, but they're like, there are repercussions for your actions. You cannot call people pedophiles and sex traffickers and think that you can get away with it. It is absolutely not okay. Mm-mm. And I'm glad you're fighting it. And I hope, I hope you take her down, whatever that means, whatever it looks like. It's just the ignorance in this world. I can't. I can't even, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I know you're, if you're visible and you're out there, you're going to get the trolls. Like it's just a fact of life for, for those of us who put it out there. It's just, it's so frustrating. It's awful. It makes me angry and I'm glad you're fighting. That's, that's it. That's what I want to say. I mean, we get hate comments every single day on every single post we make. And it's, it's easy for me. Like those are, those are fine. I can brush that off most of the time. This was a whole other level than like some nameless profile calling you a bad word or something right. or saying that we shouldn't be a family. There's a difference in that than a public figure doing what they did. Yeah, this is bigger than a troll. This is serious. This person almost represented their state in the U.S. Senate. Oh my God. Yeah. How many more are actually in the Senate? That's Correct. the question. Yeah. Right. So, oh my God. <laughs> well, you know, there's hope because love, love conquers all love and pride. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it does. We're going to prevail. But I have one last question and then I want to let you go. And I'm asking everybody who's a part of the pride extravaganza, this same question. And it's kind of a loaded question. So I apologize in advance, but I think you're going to give me a beautiful answer. The question is, what does pride mean to you? For us, it has a different meaning now after having kids than it did before. Before pride was being loud, being proud, being inclusive, and showing that we're here and it is okay to be gay. It's okay to be lesbian. It's okay to be trans. Like we are incredible humans who deserve every right that anyone else does. Now it looks a little different for us. After having our girls, we want to show them that, you know, families come in so many different shapes and forms, two moms, two dads, anyone and everyone in between, you know, there's so many different shapes to families and every single family is rooted in the same thing. And that is love. And that's Mm -hmm. what pride is for us is showing our girls and any other kids, families, anyone else out there that pride is about love and creating a family and growing two beautiful little nuggets (laughs) and showing them the beauty of the world and showing them that they need to be proud of their family because there's nothing wrong with their family. There's nothing wrong with your family. And um, it was built with a lot of intention and a lot of thought. A lot. And a lot of love. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) I love that. I love that. That's beautiful. Tony, you have anything to add to that? Again, like I said, I have a few years in here. So for me, it's pride has changed. Uh, In the beginning, it was a, oh my God, I can't believe people are out there celebrating this. Oh my God, what do people find out about me too? 
being mm. being embraced by the community like okay wait a minute wait this isn't so bad to okay then it went to like the oh i gotta go out and party on the weekend it's what but it was then it turned into like okay no this is really you've got to be an example you don't have to be but you you can choose to be and that's kind of what we've we've chosen to do is just be an example for folks so like hey you know it's it, it's not bad it's not what you know if you are in an area or you're in a family that is not uh, inclusive or that's not accepting call us or call some there, there mm. are people that are out there that are willing to listen and it's just being that the whole sense of uh, like family can look it's look so many different ways. Right. He's much better with words than I am. <laughs> no, that was beautiful. Don't cut yourself short, Tony. And I think it's beautiful. I think y'all are beautiful. I'm so happy. Your girls are home and you are one complete unit. And I cannot wait to see what comes next. Tell everybody where they can find you so that we can all do the following and the loving and the liking. And let's let's flood the comments. Let's like let's flood the comments with the positive stuff. Even if you got nothing to say, just put some hearts up so we can like overpower all those negative comments that come yes. in. Where can people find you? You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Mr. Von Trainer, and that's M R V A U G H N T R A I N O R. And we're on both um, Instagram and TikTok. Okay, go follow and put all the love up because because they deserve it. These these thank you. These guys deserve some love. So I love you. Thank you so much for joining the Queer Family Podcast Pride Extravaganza. Okay. <laughs> thank That's the you. last time I'll say that. <laughs> thank you for having us and thank you for doing this. I think it's so beautiful to see all of these interviews happening during Pride Month because I think kind of like what Tony mentioned, sometimes the messaging behind Pride can get lost and hearing stories like what you're sharing is so powerful and impactful for our community and the future community. So thank you for hosting this oh my god thank you that means the world to hear Mwah. i love the both of you um good have fun with the babies hang in there and um enjoy every second thank, thank you. you so much queer family podcast love is love well folks i really hope you enjoyed this episode of the queer family podcast and if you did if you did you got to do all the things don't forget to subscribe rate and review to this here little show, wherever you listen or watch, those things make a huge difference in getting this little show out to the rest of the world. And we really want to do that in the name of visibility, right? And inclusion. So let's do that. And uh, you can always join my Patreon and get the video episode dropped a day early. So you can be the first to be in the know at patreon.com slash the queer family podcast and make sure you're following me on all the socials the queer family podcast on instagram facebook tiktok and youtube and go get your pride merchandise i have so many fun designs so many different products in my merchandise store you're going to find that at tpublic.com slash the queer family podcast you can also find it on my website at the queer family podcast Dot com. Go do that. Share this. Rate it. You know what you can also do? Did you know that you can also take a friend's phone and just subscribe and rate and review to my show on their phone too? You can totally do that. I mean, I'm not opposed to that. Yeah, I'm really not opposed, especially your straight friends. Why not? They're allies. Let's, let's, just, let's just get all the subscribers we can. Why not? You know what I mean? <laughs> And if you like this here episode, feel free to listen to the next one or watch it on YouTube. We got a lot of fun stuff happening on our YouTube channel. So I love you all. Thank you for tuning in. Please continue to tune in and continue to share this with your folks because the more visible we are, the better this world's going to become. I, I wholeheartedly believe it. So 
Tune into next week. It's a really good one. Can't believe these folks said yes. <laughs> I'm still in shock. Okay, that's it. Tune in. I love y'all. I'll be back soon in your ears. Love is love is love on the Queer Family Podcast. Love is love.